What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Buffalo Beat. This is a live edition of the Buffalo Beat. I'm your host, Matthew Fairburn, and the Bills just lost a very sloppy game to the Jacksonville Jaguars. 25-20 to 20 is the final score from London, and it was a bit of an ugly one for the Bills for long stretches of this game. A lot of penalties, some big injuries, and that's probably the main story of this game. It's easy to sit here a few hours after a loss like this one that dropped the Bills to 3-2 and two and wonder if any of these issues are a major cause for concern for the rest of the season. But the bigger question, I think, coming out of this game is the status of Star linebacker Matt Milano, emerging star defensive tackle Daquan Jones, both of whom were hurt early in this game. Milano has what Sean McDermott described as a knee and lower leg injury. He said, quote, it's not looking good, but that the team is still waiting for more details. He said Daquan Jones's pec injury is also not looking good. So they're going to continue to get more information on that. As, you know, the hours and and the days go on here, you know, we'll probably find out at some point here in the next 12 to 24 hours exactly what those two are dealing with. But you're talking about two of the best players on Buffalo's defense early in this season going down with big injuries. And that's really tough to swallow. Everything else aside about how the Bills played in this game. The injuries are what is going to be a huge, huge concern. So we'll get into all of it. I'll share some of my takeaways from this game. You can drop your questions into the live chat here on the Athletic app, and I'll get to as many as I can, as many as you guys have. I know there was a lot that was frustrating about this game. So so whatever questions you guys have, we will get into them. I'm going to start, though at a place where we we spent some time talking early in the week, right after the game against the Dolphins. A lot of people were wondering about the Bills' travel plans heading to London. And I'll get this out of the way early because I I imagine there's going to be some questions about this. But the Bills chose to travel through the night on Thursday night and had their players stay up on Friday to try to get acclimated. They could go to bed at a normal hour Friday night, try to get normal sleep, the whole thing. It didn't seem like it worked out. Sean McDermott you know, said that plan was the result of a lot of research from the sports science department and really kind of deferred to them on the decision to do that. And the Bills were pretty sloppy in this game. They were pretty sluggish early in the game. You know, there's there could be a ton of different reasons for that. The Jaguars were already there the week before. As I mentioned last week, I thought maybe they would be eager to get out of there. You know, it could have gone either way, but there's no question their body clocks had to have been more adjusted. So not, you know, the greatest setup. There's a lot of things to complain about, I think, with the London setup in general, but making a team travel over there and play a team that's already been there for a week uh, is certainly one of them. Tim Graham, who is over in London, as we speak while I'm here at the home front, uh, talked to a lot of players about the turf, which was not ideal and may have led to some of the injuries. So 
overall, the logistics of the London trip didn't seem to go super smooth for the Bills. Stephon Diggs wasn't having it as an excuse after the game, said he didn't want to hear it. You got to get up to play NFL games, right? You're an NFL player. You got to get up to play. But there's got to be an element of sluggishness. I remember in 2015 when I went over to London, did the same thing, traveled through the night and tried to stay up and didn't feel right for a couple of days. So that's one man's example. I'm not a professional athlete. I don't have access to everything that they have access to. I was not staying in near as nice of accommodations, I'm sure, either. But anybody that's traveled overseas, I'm sure, can attest to some of the sluggishness that you feel trying to get yourself adjusted. I don't think it's the whole reason for the loss, but a few people have mentioned the running game, lack of creativity in the run game, too many draw plays. The running game was awful on Sunday, and the Bills came into this game with a top 10 rushing offense. It was a big part of their success in finding a balanced offense the last three weeks after a bad game against the Jets. And then they come out here against the Jaguars and it's, they got nothing going. And I think some of it is absolutely a lack of creativity. The Jaguars have a pretty good front seven and got the best of the Bills offensive line in this game. There were four holding calls against the Bills offensive line in this game, two for Osiris Torrance, one for Connor McGovern, which was declined, and one on Deion Dawkins. So there was a bit of that, a bit of lack of rhythm in the running game, the offensive line not quite finding its way. Josh Allen was not sacked, though, so you know they had that going for him. And the fact that this offense could not get anything going for a long stretch of this game, I think is the main reason that they lost. The Jaguars only had 11 points through three quarters. The Bills only had seven. The Bills hadn't had seven points through three quarters of a football game since 2021 on Thanksgiving when they got blown out uh, by the Indianapolis Colts. So or it was Thanksgiving weekend, I guess, that they got blown out by the Indianapolis Colts. Or maybe it was Thanksgiving Day. I can't remember. Around that time, they got blown out by the Colts and had seven points through three quarters. It's been a long time since we've seen the offense look that sluggish. And you saw them come alive late in the game. Stephon Diggs mentioned they didn't have much urgency early in the game. Once they got it late, once they're in that hurry-up mode and and really you know pressing the issue, the offense had two 75-yard drives for touchdowns back-to-back. One of them was four plays, took like 45 seconds off the clock. So I think... When you're talking about play calls and scheming and all those different things, you can you can point to Ken Dorsey on that if you want, but I think a lack of execution and penalties and different things that took them off schedule early in the game also played a bit of a role. Michael asked if there's any chance Matt Milano comes back. I think until we hear you know definitively that he's out for the year, I think that you can hold out hope for sure. And it didn't sound promising after the game, but uh, you can hold out some hope. I, I don't know. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, I know a lot of, there's a lot of them on Twitter um, that are able to parse through video and try to figure out exactly what happened. But in due time, you know, once they run the tests and figure things out, they'll have a better idea. 
it didn't look like it didn't look good. Anybody who saw the play on on TV knows it didn't look great. And I would just say Matt Milano is maybe the player the Bills could least afford to lose on defense. And the fact that that injury came a week after Tredavious White went out for the year with a torn Achilles just, you know, compounds the issue because the secondary was also a problem in this game at times, I thought. We have a question about Kair Elam. He looked lost. Is it time to trade him? And James said, based on the play of Elam today, do you feel that he is even playable going forward if Benford stays down? Or do you think Ingram or someone else from the practice squad gets elevated? So we have two Kair Elam questions. I wrote a little bit about Kair Elam in my postgame observations that will post at some point here in the next few hours. But he was not good, and the Jaguars were targeting him. You know, late in that game, late in the third quarter, they went after him when he was matched up on Calvin Ridley. I think it was a gain of 14 or 16 yards. Then early in the fourth quarter, they went right back. Kyrie Elam gave up a huge cushion. I mean, you can just see, you know, sometimes without going back and dissecting every play, I did rewatch the fourth quarter drives to see when he got taken out and, and what might have led up to it. But he had 11 tackles in this game. And that was the second most on the team. And that may seem like a bit of a, a positive on the surface, but when you're a cornerback on the boundary and you're making 11 tackles, he was not terrific in run support in this game either. So you know that that the catches are coming his way, that he's allowing a little bit too much uh, separation from these receivers. Disappointing game uh, on a lot of levels. I mean, I know it was disappointing for a lot of people to see that he was a healthy scratch in the first four games of the season when everybody was healthy. It took Tredavious White getting injured and Christian Benford being out in this game with a shoulder injury for Elam to get on the field. And he didn't make the most of his opportunity, the four games away, coming in fresh, whatever he may have been learning. It looked like there was a lack of confidence. This is a guy who is a really strong athlete, has a real good history of man coverage in college. And he seems unsure of himself in this, you know, whether that's the system, whether he's in his head because he was a healthy scratch for four weeks. I don't really know exactly what it is. It could be simple lack of ability. He's not as good as the Bills thought he was when they drafted him. Whatever it is, the results are not good enough. When you're getting benched for, you know, a player in Ingram and Jamarcus Ingram, who was called up off the practice squad late in the week. Sean McDermott did not, you know, really mince words. He said situationally he wanted a different player in there. And maybe that's, you know, run defense. I don't know exactly what he's referring to there, but he may simply be saying he wasn't getting enough out of Kyrie Elam. Dane Jackson, I think, is is fine on the other side. And when Benford's healthy, you're okay with Dane Jackson and Christian Benford on the outside. It's not ideal, but you're okay. If Kyrie Elam is playing, that's going to be a problem because I think the Jaguars figured out late in this game that they could go after him and that the confidence just wasn't there. And I think that was a big reason why they were able to get things going late in this game. The Jaguars had something like 234 yards of offense in the fourth quarter. The defense just wore down and, and sort of collapsed 
late in the game, it's hard to blame them too much because they were dealing with, you know, big time injuries to some of their key players. But it also seemed like the Jaguars figured out a recipe that worked and Elam was definitely a part of that. Jeff says the defense readjusted well to the injuries, but the offense just sucked too slow and never got into a groove. What happened to the short passing game over the middle that worked so well in recent games? And, you know, a lack of play action was also mentioned by another commenter. Just totally out of rhythm from the start. And I do think, you know, we've had some discussions on these live shows about whether the Bills have enough of a secondary passing game you know, to complement the Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs connection, which has obviously been working great and worked great again against the Jaguars. Diggs had eight catches for 121 yards and a touchdown, you know, about all you can ask for out of your number one wide receiver. And my point early in the season was that Gabriel Davis was a good enough number two. I think he showed that again today, eight targets, six catches, 100 yards and a touchdown. 73 of those yards and the touchdown came in the fourth quarter when the Bills got into that urgent mode. Josh Allen was looking for Gabe Davis on a lot of those big plays that they made. That's a guy that Josh Allen trusts, and he's shown he can come through in in important moments. So I don't have a Gabriel Davis issue with this offense, but some of the things you guys are pointing out, I think, are legit. Play action was working marvelously well for for the bills in this game and let me check real quick if the play action numbers have loaded for josh allen in this one so we can get an exact accurate picture uh and the short passing game though is is another is another fair point because the other, they had seven other players catch a pass in this game besides Diggs and Davis, but the only one to have more than twenty-five receiving yards was Deontay Hardy, who had, you know, a forty-yard catch and a twenty-yard catch. Made a couple of big plays. Nice to see him get going. But all the other, there wasn't a lot of yards after catch to be had, and it wasn't, you know, too much of a threat outside of, you know, the key players that we're used to seeing. So the play action passing numbers for Josh Allen, he had 10 dropbacks out of play action. He went seven for eight for 119 yards, five first downs. Pretty good. Uh, He was great again on play action. And that was, you know, he had nine. He went nine for 10 on play action against the Dolphins, five for eight on play action against Washington, 8 for 10 against the Raiders, 5 for 5 against the Jets. So this was about par for the course for how often they've used it. The second most passing yards he had off of play action in a game and right around average for first downs. Now, last week he had 206 yards and three of his passing touchdowns off of play action. So it was a little more in your face, a little more pronounced, but they still got it going. They probably didn't lean on it quite as much because they had nothing going in the running game. And that's another, you know, way that the play action game can be even better is when your play action game can help your running game. They didn't have that element in this game. 29 rushing yards. 
James Cook had negative four rushing yards on five carries. And Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, and James Cook combined had 10 carries for 15 yards. Josh Allen was your leading rusher at four carries for 14 yards and a touchdown. That you could say, you know, Sean McDermott loves balance on offense, right? It's something that he's preached uh, going back to when Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator. And the balanced approach, even in the games that Josh Allen didn't completely light it up, like against Washington and against Las Vegas, he still had really efficient games in part because the team was so balanced. This offense did not feel balanced at all today, not just from the running game, but because so much of it was running through Diggs for basically the entire game until Davis got going late, and then Diggs and Davis at the end. So 359 passing yards for Josh Allen and 221 of those were were Diggs and Davis. You'd like to see these tight ends getting more involved. You'd like to see, you know, it was a good game from Hardy. That's kind of what you want from a guy like that, a couple of big plays. But the tight ends are supposed to be a big part of this passing game, and a little bit of that was missing in this one. Offense in the first half looked like the offense did in the playoff game against Cincy last year, uninspired, tired, unmotivated. I agree. And, again, that might have been – there may have been travel issues involved there. I don't know. There may have been jet lag and and body clock issues at play. Maybe they just didn't handle this particular trip all that well. The good news is they don't play in London very often. I think the bigger question that you would have stemming from that is that logistical things do come into play throughout the course of a season. Throughout the course of a long playoff run, they come into play as well. How do you handle a bye week if you get a first round bye? How do you handle the long layoff between the championship game and the Super Bowl? Those are real issues that a team needs to be able to handle. I think the Bills under McDermott as a whole have handled odd situations well. They had a lot of those last year, and they really managed to handle themselves pretty well, whether it was the snowstorm, everything that happened with DeMar Hamlin. They tend to navigate these things well. The London games are a bit of an odd gimmick. They're something that, you know, Sean McDermott had never been over to London. The team hadn't been since 2015. Some of the players individually had done it, but, you know, you can lean on your sports science and this and that. But when the other team's been sitting there for a week and when it's a completely new place and you're handling it, you're trying to treat it like any other road game, but you're not because you're flying through the middle of the night and you would never do that for another road game. So I'm not trying to give the offense a complete pass, but some of those factors matter. And the offense long-term doesn't concern me a great deal based on what we've seen through five games. I do think something worth looking at, and I'll probably take a closer look at it, is the Jets and Jaguars, did they do anything defensively? These are two talented defenses. Did they do anything that other teams can replicate? Other talented teams. I think we've seen this is not as simple as do you blitz Josh Allen? Do you not blitz Josh Allen? Do you play man coverage? Do you play zone coverage? 
It's not really as simple as that against Josh Allen. You need to have a baseline level of talent on defense to even be able to think about handling him in this offense. But for the teams that do, there's going to be some coverage stuff and blitz stuff that teams try to do to get the book on this offense. I don't think that there is necessarily one book on this offense. I think the Jets are a really talented defense, and I think the Jaguars had some external factors working in their to their benefit in this game, and also they have a, a good defense as well. They have good pass rushers and good players in the secondary. The teams that have good players in the secondary that don't let the Bills get the easy separation quickly tend to have luck disrupting timing for this offense. Christian points out that one of the drives was against pre- prevent defense. It is fair to point out that, you know, the late in, it was too little too late, right? You needed that earlier in the game and there are certain game script things that worked in their favor. But points are points nonetheless. Had they gotten a stop, you know, they might have been able to uh they might have been able to have a better chance at winning that game as as an offense, but Don asks, any positives to strip from this, Matt? It seems Epinesa played well, and as another said, the defense seemed to do well enough, keeping them to 11 for a while. Don makes a great point about A.J. Epinesa. He was fantastic in this game. He had two sacks. He had three passes defended. He stepped up when they really needed somebody to. Greg Russo was out with a foot injury in this game. Shaq Lawson was out, a late addition to the injury report, with a toe injury. Von Miller was back, but on a pitch count. Didn't play late in the game. Epinesa was all over the field and the passes defended were a big deal. The sacks, you know, these were coming at big moments for the bills and it felt like he was their spark plug on defense when they needed one. They didn't have Matt Milano. They didn't have Daquan Jones. They didn't have Tredavious White, Greg Rousseau. Von Miller wasn't playing off enough to, to be that guy. So fantastic game from AJ Epinesa, huge bright spot. I think the pass rush as a whole is a big bright spot. Five sacks of Trevor Lawrence. Ed Oliver really wasn't hugely involved in this game, and he's arguably been their best pass rusher this season. You had two sacks from Leonard Floyd, two from AJ Epinesa. Oliver did get one sack. I misspoke there. Oliver had a sack two quarterback hits and three tackles for loss. So plenty involved from Ed Oliver. Although by his standards, um, that's about par for the course. He's been one of their best players. So they still have Ed Oliver. They still have depth on the defensive line. Greg Rousseau should be back before too long. You know, that that's not an injury that looks like it's going to jeopardize his season. And so you get Von Miller cranking again. You get Leonard Floyd is still rolling. I think the pass rush is the main thing to cling to. The defense can survive if they have an elite pass rush. But somebody points out that Brandon Bean needs to work a trade or something on defense, and I tend to agree. I think cornerback depth is needed. You can't be one injury away from Kyrie Elam being on the field if that's how he's going to play. If you can't trust Kyrie Elam late in that game and you prefer a player on the practice squad, you need to go out and find a better option because injuries happen and 
being one injury away from him being in your lineup, I don't think is good enough. I do think they need to make some sort of a trade. Paul asks, what are they doing with Dalton Kincaid? Seems like he could be a game breaker if they utilize him. I tend to agree. He looks ready. You know, it hasn't looked like the moments are too big for him or that the adjustment is too big for him. He's getting targets. He's just not, maybe it's just that the utilization is not exactly what it should be. It's really tough to pinpoint exactly what's not happening there, but I would like to see him on more routes that don't necessarily rely on yards after the catch because Josh Allen has this big arm. He's great at attacking the intermediate and deep parts of the field. I'd like to see Dalton Kincaid get some of that instead of relying on him to make yards after the catch. Sort of like Cole Beasley was in this offense where it was all quick stuff. He would make plays after the catch, but mostly he would get a ton of catches, not a ton of yards a lot of the time. And that was that. So I'd like to see him have a better average depth of target than he has because he does have the ability to to get open down the field and be a real problem in the middle of the field. And they're just not using him a whole, a whole lot. A few people are mentioning that, you know, the time adjustment and all of that definitely seemed to play a bit of a role. And I think it's hard to argue. I know it's an excuse and, you know, it was an avoidable one though, right? You know, the the fact that they only had a few days, maybe they should have left on Tuesday. Maybe that's something they do in the future. I don't really know exactly how they're going to handle it, when they'll be back over there, all that. But the NFL is really loving these international games. They're all about getting teams to London, getting teams to different parts of the world. So teams are always adjusting how they want to handle this too. The Raiders traveled to the East Coast early for that game against the Bills and seemingly just wasted a bunch of their money on accommodations and hotels and practice accommodations for the week because the Bills absolutely crushed them. So I don't know that it's a perfect science. I don't know that there's necessarily enough data to go on, but I just know staying up, trying to sleep on a plane and then staying up throughout the day you don't get that sleep back. If you don't sleep on the plane, you don't get that sleep back. It's just sleep debt that accumulates throughout the weekend and it catches up to you on Sunday. It's why, side note, coaches that sleep on their couch or pull all-nighters during the week, particularly coaches who are calling plays, I find that to be foolish because by the time you get to Sunday, you're working off of you know all this sleep debt and you're not making as sharp of decisions and the players probably felt some of that in this game where you're just a touch slow or you're not as sharp with your decision making or your reaction time that's all it takes to get a holding penalty to get you know uh, a missed block or be a step late in coverage so while it feels like a lousy excuse it seems legit because they seem so out of sorts and it seems like the simplest explanation is that they were not handling the adjustment to the time zone very well. Benjamin asks, I feel like Josh Allen misses opportunities to progress play through shorter passes instead of going for mid to long range passes. 
regarding the distance and time differences. They're much different with Buffalo to LA to Buffalo to London. That's a fair question. I think there is a difference. Buffalo to LA is a shorter flight and you're going the opposite way. And so if anything, your body clock is there would be a difference in the sense that the I think the flight being shorter is a big one because the more time on a plane, the more time, you know, you're sitting and your muscles might be getting, you know, cramped if you're not hydrating properly, all those things. Also, going the other way essentially means that you're playing at four o'clock Eastern time, whereas any of us who are here in the States for this game know that it was 930 Eastern time. Your body thinks it's 930 and these guys are not remotely used to being ready to go for a game at 930 in the morning. When you're going the other way, it's 430. They play some four o'clock games on the east coast they play night games on the east coast that's a little bit easier they practice most days at 12 30 and so even that is three hours later than they were starting this game and then you have to also consider the fact that if they're kicking off at 9 30 in the morning they are warming up at seven in the morning and you know waking up at six in the morning just not their normal routine. So the West Coast is a little bit more normal. Even if you consider the fact that you're dealing with a three-hour time difference and you're maybe you get to bed or wake up a little earlier than you would want to, you're still playing at a time where your body is used to being awake and used to being in football mode. So that's where the argument comes in that you leave on Tuesday or after your game on Sunday, and which was a home game, so they could have done that. And then you get yourself adjusted. You by the end of the week, you're ready. You know it feels normal, but there's no way they felt normal. Uh, and I think that's, I think, in some ways they were trying to block out. It's like do such a quick turnaround that the time difference doesn't even matter because you're just in and out. But they didn't even quite do that because they were there early enough that they had to practice Friday and not sleep most of the day on Friday until they went to bed. And so it was sort of this in-between that that clearly didn't work. But again, how much is it worth belaboring when you're not going to do this all that often? So many comments in here, Georgie, the latest about how people hate overseas flights. You feel sick the next day. It takes a few days to adjust. It's it's a huge thing. I've only done it once, but it, it was, I remember that, that day being tough. It's hard to sleep on a plane. They have probably a more comfortable plane than I had, but still. Uh, and who knows if that played a role in any of the injuries or I don't, you know, with Milano's, it doesn't seem like it would, but with muscles and, you know, hydration levels, all those things, if your body's not quite right, if you're tired, uh, you never know. Milano's was different because that you know, it was just a, a freak play, but the turf may have played a role as well. And, you know, we'll see what guys had to say about that when Tim Graham's stories go live from London here shortly. We'll get to a few more questions. I missed the first, you know what? I, 
skip the first part of Benjamin's question when I got on my LA and London rant. But Josh Allen missing opportunities to progress the play through shorter passes instead of going for mid to long range passes. I think that is actually when Josh Allen's at his best is when he's working the short game. And I think it's a good point by Benjamin because when he gets when there's a defense that can frustrate him and take that stuff away, doesn't happen a whole lot. Saw it happen against the Jets, saw it happen a little bit in this game. Those are the defenses that cause him problems because then maybe he wants to try to push the ball downfield more. Maybe he wants to try to, you know, take the bigger plays. But they are dangerous when he just can be patient and use the checkdowns and then open things up for plays down the field. It is going back to 2020, I think when this offense is at its best, when it's in rhythm and Stefan Diggs makes a lot of that work with how quickly he gets open. So I think it's a, a good point by Benjamin. Grant asks, what do we blame for the weak running game? Without going back and looking closely, it is not super easy to discern, but there was not a ton of running room. I think there was a little bit of scheme issues, the timing of certain runs and the types of runs. But I think you had an offense that was not getting a great push in the running game. And there wasn't a huge commitment to the running game. And that led to some of the issues until, you know, they late in the game, they had kind of gone away from the running game. You only have 10 carries for your running backs. That's probably not going to be enough to get any sort of real rhythm. I mean, the Jaguars ran the ball 40 times in this game for 196 yards. Travis Etienne had 26 carries for 136 yards and two touchdowns. That is a rough game from the Bills' run defense, but the point being they ran it 40 times, and they had the ball a heck of a lot more often. This was actually the 10th worst game from a Sean McDermott defense in terms of third down conversion percentage allowed. It's 55% for the Jaguars. It was 58% before their final drive where they were trying to run out the clock and the bills had law the bills are now two and eight in those games in those 10 games of 55 percent or worse so that's a big reason why the jaguars were able to continue running the ball i think the bills just being so off schedule you know to have a long run of seven yards in a game i know the passing game is king but i don't know how easy you're going to find it to win if your long run is seven yards in a game and your long run from a running back is six yards. So when something like that happens, I tend to think it's a bit of everything. And the two things I noticed were some questionable types of runs at, at times and, you know, not a ton of running room, but that's easier to look at from the end zone view on the all 22 to see where there are holes that James Cook missed or that Harris or Murray missed. But this is also what happens, I think, when you don't have Josh Allen propping up your running game. They've taken a lot of that out of their offense, really emphasized him not running 
as often, and he used to prop up their running numbers in a lot of games. What was so impressive about their offense for the three weeks before this game is that they were able to have that downhill running game with Harris and Murray and James Cook, and this week they were not able to get into that kind of rhythm. Let's see if I can find one more question as we round up this 25-20 to 20 loss. Let's run through some awards for the Bills. Because I find most of our awards fit better in games that they lose, which makes them probably not much of awards, does it? The We'll start with the Blaine Gabbard Award for Perseverance, which is always the best award to get on this show. And I'm going to give it to AJ Epinesa, a guy that fell down the depth chart a bit, but managed to continue to carve out a role, continue to hang around on the roster, get better. And now he is looking like, you know, he looked like one of their best pass rushers in this game. He's batting down the ball at the line of scrimmage at, by the end of this week, he might lead the league among defensive linemen in batted passes. He had three in this game. He had two coming in. So absolute perseverance from AJ Epinesa to continue to hang around, get better. And while some were ready to write him off as a bust, he's starting to look like he's going to contribute to this team in a pretty big way. And I think they're going to need him. Going through the Matt Barkley Award for the player who came out of nowhere to contribute in this game, That one's a little bit tougher because there weren't a lot of players who came out of nowhere to contribute. But we'll go with Deontay Hardy, who finally popped in the passing game. I think the Bills have been waiting for that, and they could use more of that in their offense, frankly. So 43-yard long, pretty, pretty good for Hardy. And that's all you really need from him is a few catches, a few big plays. He doesn't need to carry the offensive load in the passing game because uh, Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis do plenty of that. The Vontae Davis Award for the player who did not show up in the second half. The Bills showed up a bit better in the second half, actually. The first half is where I would want to give this to the whole offense for not showing up, because they were really sluggish for most of the first half. The second half... Honestly, wasn't too much of a of an issue other than perhaps the defense. So I would I guess we will give this to Kyir Elam, who was on the field in the first half, not on the field in the second half. Kind of a rough go in the second half for him. Too often targeted in coverage at important parts in the game. So that's what I'll go with for that. And those are, you know, the Gotta Watch the Tape Award. We alluded to it. 
I'm going to give it to the running game because I do feel like a closer look is warranted. This was supposed to be and was a strength of the team coming into the game. They were a top 10 rushing offense in the NFL before this game. And that is something that they really have to figure out. You know, you don't want to have that become a consistent issue for your team because this is a different offense when Josh Allen has to do everything. He's capable of doing it against a lot of opponents, but clearly in this game today, it was a bit too much for the Bills to overcome. So it is 25 to 20, your final score. The Jaguars beat the Bills. The Bills are now three and two. The Dolphins won today, so that puts the Bills behind the Dolphins again. And the Bills' next play at home, Sunday night football against Brian Dable and the New York Giants. Talk about body clock issues. You go from playing at 9.30 a.m. one week to 8.20 p.m. the next week. Then they have games against the Bills, Buccaneers, Bengals, Broncos. So a manageable stretch of the schedule, I would say. The Giants lost again today to the Dolphins. The Patriots look like a mess. The Buccaneers have probably been better than usual, but two of the next three games for the Bills are in that primetime slot at home. Giants, then on the road against the Patriots, at home against the Buccaneers on Thursday night football in that 8-15 window. So they're going to be dealing with significantly different body clock problems. Four of their next five games are at 8.15 or later. There's a, The Patriots game is the only one o'clock game until New Year's Eve, which is another Patriots game. So a lot of late night football coming your way for the Buffalo Bills. So get ready for that after you had your early morning football today. Bills lose to the Jaguars. But my final big picture thought is this. This does not change what I think too much about the Buffalo Bills. The injuries are a concern. If you're without Matt Milano and Daquan Jones for an extended stretch of time, those are going to be tough guys to replace. I think they can patch it together in the secondary. I think the offense will end up being fine because they have one of the best quarterbacks on the planet. I think this will be a team that is knocking on the door at the end of the year as a Super Bowl contender. But the injuries are a big deal. And the Bills probably won't be too eager to go to London again anytime soon. So I'm Matthew Fairburn. Thanks for hanging out with me on this Sunday afternoon. We will talk to you soon. Joe Biscalia should be back in this chair before too long, maybe by the next time you're listening to this. And we will talk to you soon as the Bills enter a much different stretch of their schedule with these primetime matchups. Thanks so much for listening and have a great rest of your week.